I think what's so interesting about sleep is that's not the first question we ask if there's a particular behavior that might be be off for a child. So if a child is having behavioral difficulties, we'll ask a bunch of other questions. But for me personally, as a clinician, I, the first question that I usually ask has to do with sleep and nutrition and just how important that is for memory and really just going about your day again, kind of putting one foot in front of the other and being able to do what's expected of you. Inform, educate, advocate. This is your source for all things early childhood. From nurturing healthy development to overcoming behavioral challenges and recognizing mental health needs. Welcome to Centering Kids, advice from the experts at the Florida Center for Early Childhood. A good night's sleep. It's something that every parent desires. And while we often focus on how catering to young children in the middle of the night disrupts our own sleep, we sometimes overlook the fact that unrest for our child can affect them as well. The American Academy of Pediatrics estimates that sleep problems occur in 25 to 50% of children. Sleep plays a critical role in our child's development, affecting happiness, performance, mood, and resiliency. While we're dreaming of eight hours of slumber, are we ignoring a bigger problem in our children? Hi, this is Centering Kids, and I'm your host, Marib Favorite. Today, we'll be discussing the importance of good quality sleep and its correlation with mental health, individual growth, and even behavior in young children. My guest today is Allison Finney, a school-based mental health therapist who serves elementary children in Sarasota, Florida at Alta Vista Elementary School. Welcome, Allison. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Mariv. I'm happy to be here. For our listeners out there who are unfamiliar with what school-based therapy is, can you explain a little bit about the program and your role in the school? Sure. So school-based therapists are in one particular school the entire school year and for the summer as well. I am in my school full-time and therefore see a caseload of students that are referred by school administration and guidance counselors so I can work with the children and their parents during the school day and as needed um, during the summer. We work with behaviors, uh, grief counseling, anything that that child and family is in need of to help support them um, during the school day as well as when they go home. That is so exciting and interesting. And I think there is no out-of-pocket cost, right, to the families? That's amazing. So you see firsthand the correlations between sleep and concentration, memory, and behavior. Can you tell us a little bit about the problems children can have when they don't get a good night's rest? When I think about that question, Marib, I think about myself as an adult when I don't get enough sleep and how I function the next day in my work environment and then correlate that with elementary age children and really any child and then think about the fact that they don't have the skills developed in order to deal with big emotions. And for me personally, if I haven't gotten enough sleep, I might be more irritable or I may not be able to concentrate as well. And in the classroom setting, when you have a whole you know room of 26 kindergartens per se, if one or many of them have not gotten the amount of sleep that they need, they're going to have a more going to have a more difficult time really doing just the basic things they need to do to get through their day. Yeah, I mean, I know that when I don't get enough sleep, I have trouble getting through the day too. And sometimes I just, 
I'm so exhausted. I just have to take a personal day because it's like nothing is going to get accomplished correctly. So what are some of the things that you can do to help our children's sleep habits? I'm guessing it's probably different for different age groups. I think what's so interesting about sleep is that's not the first question we ask if there's a particular behavior that might be be off for a child. So if a child is having behavioral difficulties, we'll ask a bunch of other questions. But for me personally, as a clinician, I, the first question that I usually ask has to do with sleep and nutrition and just how important that is for memory and really just going about your day again, kind of putting one foot in front of the other and being able to do what's expected of you. Oh, that's really smart on your part, I think. I think a lot of kids probably, that's exactly what the problem is. So what are some things we can do to help our children's sleep habits? I'm guessing they're probably different for the different age groups. Yes, absolutely. Um, sleep tips are different for each grade age group and any of us out there that are parents and caregivers are highly aware of this, of how much that changes from birth to however old the age of your children right now with babies they've not yet developed their circadian rhythm and so sleeping through the night is not normal soothing them can help and we all are experts on our own children and so soothing to you and your child may look much different than another child but we know of the five s's um for instance shushing and swaddling and different ways to soothe maybe it's a problem with them being hungry or their diaper needing changed and there's also things to think about in the rooms so is the room dark enough um limited light so that children are able to fall asleep faster and they can get into that rhythm knowing you know when they should be sleeping and when they should be awake and you mentioned too that whenever they need a diaper change or need a bottle um should we be doing that in kind of like a dark environment not switching on you know a million lights when we're doing that absolutely trying to keep the environment the same as it would be when you're asleep i think is really important so that we're not getting just like if we were to wake up and get a glass of water, we're not going to want to turn all the lights in the house on because our brain is going to think, oh, it's time to wake up and get ready for work. And even if we're exhausted, you're going to notice it's going to take more time to get back to sleep. So just mimicking the room being dark and calm and really not even saying much, if that's possible, and just kind of getting what needs to be done so that you can get back to what's most important, which is getting that good night's sleep. And I've also heard, too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that you want to do it as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And not, you know, give them this huge meal whenever they need to be fed. Because I know with my kids, you know, I just gave them the minimum. They went back to sleep. And there wasn't this kind of rhythm that you see sometimes where they're waking up thinking they're going to get a bottle because their body, you know, creates this time, this schedule Yes, absolutely. So really, again, we're the experts on our children, but we want to make sure that we're also keeping the goal in mind. So is our goal to get them up and feed them and make sure their bellies are fed? Is our, or is our goal to soothe them and get them to a point where they're able to get back to sleep and stay asleep? So less is more, darker is better, and staying as quiet and soothing as you can be. And I think this helps parents too, so that you can get back to sleep, which is also really important, kind of getting to the point where you're getting the sleep you needed as well. Absolutely. 
So what about toddlers? I mean, toddlers can be kind of, they can kind of go against the grain and fight you when you want to go put them to bed. So what are your tips about that age group? So for parents that are able to have their children in childcare during the toddler stages, I think that they will be able to see the difference between having the children home and having the children in school. For me personally, with my first child, I did not have him in childcare. And then with my second, he was. And I would be amazed at this room full of toddlers taking a nap at the same time together and think, how can this teacher do that when I can't replicate that at home? So that the lesson I have from that is routine, right? The one thing in classrooms we know are happening are routines. So when I hear a parent say, I can't get my three-year-old to nap, we know that we can. It's just a matter of how we're setting that up. And it's so important to have that routine. So I think for parents that have their toddlers at home, um, trying to establish the best routine that they can so that the, the toddler knows what's coming next. And if they know that after lunch, just like at school, they would be laying down for that quiet time or that nap, their bodies are more likely to allow that to happen and not fight it. Such good advice. I know I cannot get my toddler to nap at all, but they do at school. And my my um, youngest always says, Mom, my, my room's not dark enough to nap. I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, having that environment, the cooler air and the darker environment really helps too. And I know that, you know, at school they do that as well. Um, what about bedtime? I know... We, we mentioned that toddlers can be really stubborn and not want to go to sleep when they're told um, are establishing some, you know, choices or getting giving them some independence. Is that important as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. I think with any child, autonomy is the child's goal. And so having a choice is giving your child the kind of gateway to feel more in control of themselves and their bodies. So if we're giving them choices and letting them make their own decisions, and you want to make sure that you're okay with those choices. So it's not, you know, which pajamas do you want to wear? It's do you want the ones with the kitties or the ones with the dogs? So that we don't take an hour picking which ones we want from a drawer full of pajamas. Um, Picking out their favorite book. Giving toddlers and really up to teenagers choices will help minimize complaints and distractions and really get into that back and forth where at some point you're going to just throw your hands in the air and go, you know what? Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I do that a lot. Um, So what about multiple children in the same room? And I know you talked about the classrooms where there's a whole bunch of kids in there, but what if they're different ages? I actually have a very close friend who has daughters that are eight years apart, and they had no choice but to share a room. They still share a room. So one is in elementary school and one is in high school. And that being said, I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with us sharing expectations with our children and saying at this age, this is what you are allowed to do because this is what's good for your body. And even though research says that teenagers and teenagers and toddlers should get the same amount of sleep per night, we know that that's just not feasible with schedules and sports and homework. So the eight-year-old will have to go to bed earlier than the teenager and the high school student just because the high school student has more things she has to do and her brain is more fully formed in a way that when she wakes up and is tired, which she will be, she's better equipped to handle her emotions throughout her day. Mm, That's 
Very interesting. Moving on to our next age group, which is school-age children. Um, I find that it's really hard to keep a schedule and get them to bed early as well because so many school-age children now also have homework. And, you know, you get home, you go for a little exercise, you make dinner, and it's 8 o'clock at night already. And then you still have baths, and if they have, you know, t-ball practice or something, then it really throws the schedule off. Um, Can you make any recommendations for that age group as well? Absolutely, Marib. My first would be not to overload schedules. I am a mom, and I know that we want to be able to give our children choices and have them, you know, be a part of opportunities, but in the long run, I think the main goal is what is making them healthy and happy. And so really, again, having the guidelines with if you're going to choose soccer this season, we're only going to choose soccer so that we have time for the other things, family time, um, getting to sleep on time and homework. There are some teachers out there that may not love this response, but I think being an advocate for your child and if your child is one that has a difficult time with homework and that becomes a battle in your household that's interrupting family time and getting to bed on time, then really talking to that teacher about how that may look differently. Maybe they do homework on a few nights a week or maybe they're able to do a little more in school or you know it may look different. But for each family, I think really having the goal of how is my child going to be most healthy and then how your schedule looks around that is what's most important. I agree and I think when we're thinking in terms of like a trauma-informed school that the teachers might be a little more um, you know flexible with their homework schedule because as a working parent myself I can really appreciate having a set day where you have homework on Tuesdays and Thursdays and it's like a one pager you know it gets the job done but you're not sitting there for 15 minutes 20 minutes and then of course like you're saying getting the kid to the table getting them to focus it makes it really hard sometimes and I've also seen some of the teachers do like a you know it's due at the end of the week which is kind of nice too Absolutely. I think another thing to remember is if your child does have homework, um, really doing homework and other activities in another room that is not a room that they associate with sleep. That could be your dinner table or maybe just on the ground, maybe outside, but making sure that your bedroom is set up for sleep. There's research that talks about screens and not having any type of screen in anyone's room. And I know that's difficult, but again, when our bedrooms are only used for sleep and with kids, a little bit of play, I think it's much easier to find yourself in a place that gets sleepy when that's the only thing that you're supposed to be doing there. Right. I agree. And that's always been a rule of mine, like no TVs in the bedroom. Um, Now, I also found that some doctors say that you want to put the beds, the kids to bed when they are sleepy, not when they're asleep. So if they're falling asleep, maybe to their favorite cartoon or something in the living room, and then you're moving them in the bed, that's probably not a good thing. Absolutely. And again, I know that that may be a habit that some parents have and that that seems easier, but I encourage you to kind of get to the point where your child is able to fall asleep on their own without that crutch, especially when it's a screen, because 
Research shows that two hours of any kind of screen before trying to go to sleep actually makes it more difficult to fall asleep because of what that's doing to our brains. That's really interesting. And um, can you maybe recommend some positive technology that maybe doesn't give off the light that a screen does, but is also kind of like a modern thing? Absolutely. So I'll start with things that aren't so modern, because I don't know about you, but in my (laughs) house, I do still own a CD player. And I do have from the years that I've been doing this kind of work, a lot of relaxation CDs um, that I really love to listen to. And with a CD player, you're not going to have a screen. So modernizing that we all we have Alexa right or any Mm -hmm. of your streaming devices that don't have a screen and you can ask to listen to a relaxation exercise and there are wonderful free exercises for children that feel safe and feel soothing and really are a nice way to kind of train children to train their own brains and their bodies to relax in order to set their themselves up for a good night's rest that's such great information and I'm over here taking notes because it's embarrassing to admit but my my kids which are five and seven now still sleep with me and I just cannot seem to get them out of my bed I've tried everything it seems but um do you have any advice for parents like me who have co-sleeping issues yes the first <laughs> thing that I want to say is that I don't think there's anything wrong with co-sleeping until one of the people sleeping, one of the persons in that co-sleeping bed are having a difficult time getting good sleep. At that point, it sounds like where you are, Mary, we need to kind of look at, okay, what can we do to kind of transition from this wonderful co-sleeping environment you did have for a long time to where we're all getting the right amount of sleep and comfort that we need? And things like routine, Um, having that relaxation kind of soothing moment. And it's the same one. We know how kids love the same books. They love knowing what's coming next. So you don't really have to get too crazy with your techniques. But again, allowing your child to choose, maybe finding a few um, relaxation podcasts or some music that they like. I love essential oils, so if there's a smell that your child finds comforting, maybe a little bit of lavender, something like that, you can add to the mix. Um, Some parents uh, have tried massage, where they can have a little bit of massage lotion or oils and ask the child, you know, would you like your hands rubbed or your back or your feet? So all these things, and you don't want it to be hours and hours in length, because then, you know, you'll get to the point where you say, let's just all get in my bed. I'll, I'll deal with not sleeping well. <laughs> but the, the routine should really be about 10, 15 minutes and the same each night. And then, you know, of course, it's going to be difficult because your children are used to what they're doing now. But I promise that in time, when you keep up the routine and you stick to it and you're consistent, they will know what's coming next and they will too enjoy having their own bed to rest fully in. Well, that sounds like a plan. I will promise to be strong. (laughs) Um, So how do we handle night terrors or sleepwalking? I've heard a lot of kind of parent horror stories about some of those things. Absolutely. I know parents have probably heard if your child is having a night terror definitely not to wake them up um, to try and just get them back to their bed and then again establish that routine if it's a night terror the child usually isn't awake and so it's relatively easy to get them back to their bed 
kind of do your soothing motion, whatever that is, patting their back, maybe humming a little bit, and then going back to sleep. If they are awake and having a nightmare, I think, you know, soothing them and letting them know that they're okay and all the obvious things that we try to do as parents, and then getting them back to bed and having a routine that would actually execute, you know, what you might need in that moment. So in my house, I made monster spray. You can go to the dollar store, get a little spray bottle. I added an essential oil and water, and I keep that monster spray somewhere in my child's room and label it monster spray. And so if the child is adamant that there's a monster in their room, we spray the spray, the monsters go away, we get back in bed, and then hopefully all is well and we can continue on with getting back to sleep. Oh, that is such a cute idea. I might have to steal that one. That's really cute. I recommend it. (laughs) Um, Well, one thing I hadn't heard before um, I was researching for this podcast was sleep hygiene. And I think you mentioned that a little bit earlier. Can you expand upon that idea? Sure. I think sleep hygiene is a fun phrase that came out when adults were having a difficult time not really getting to sleep. And I think it really had to do with more technology, more time on technology, and not realizing the effect that it has on our brains. Now we know. And so we also know that having that sleep hygiene kind of sleep diet, as I call it sometimes, where you have the same routine for yourself, it may look a little more age appropriate, we might not need the monster spray, (laughs) um, or the songs. But really, having a little routine where you might have a cup of tea. Um, You make sure that you're not in front of screens two hours before sleep, which seems really hard with the amount of hours we have in our day. But again, our children are watching us and we need sleep and we need to have good routines for ourselves. So whatever that looks like for you, it could be a cup of tea, it could be meditating, it could be praying, it could be just kind of a mantra you say to yourself, um, whatever that looks like in your household, just getting your body into kind of a rhythm of it's time to start going to a place where I'm feeling calm and ready to sleep. I'm not opening my work email. I'm not making any calls. I'm not watching scary movies and getting into the sleep hygiene so that you're ready to really start falling asleep. Right. That's a great idea. I know me personally, I have to have my bed made and I have my own version of monster spray, but it's just lavender spray and I just spray my pillow and it really (laughs) helps. I love that. Well, I will definitely have to try some of these techniques. And um, thank you so much for your suggestions. Is there anything else that maybe you wanted to add that we didn't touch on today? I just think it's important for us to really be aware of our own sleep and how that affects our moods and our emotions, and then to be empathic when it comes to children. I think, again, that it's something that's for, that may be forgotten when there's a difficult morning or a difficult day. And just getting out of bed and starting your day, that hour can make or break the next three or four hours of your work or school day. So when we're getting great sleep and when we're waking up and we kind of know the routine, for before bed and waking up in the morning, we're really setting ourselves and our children up for a wonderful day and kind of a way to just go into things in a soothing way. That sounds like a good day to me. That sounds like a really nice thing to look forward to every day for parents and children alike. Well, I think that sums up our show for today. Thank you so much for being here, Allison. Thank you, Marib. 
Centering Kids podcast is brought to you by the Florida Center for Early Childhood, a nonprofit organization that supports the healthy development of young children specializing in those with delays, disabilities, and mental health challenges. Our agency is supported by listeners like you. If you're interested in donating or sponsoring this podcast, please visit our website, www.thefloridacenter.org, or email info at thefloridacenter.org. Join us next month for another Centering Kids podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Centering Kids. You can visit the Florida Center for Early Childhood online at www.thefloridacenter.org to learn more and subscribe to this podcast. Have comments or suggestions for a show topic? Email us at podcast at Thanks again for joining us for Centering Kids, where early childhood experts give you tips and tools to help center children, foster their healthy development, and build stronger families.